everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. As you know, I am your host, Stephanie. Hey, everybody. It's that time again, podcast time. It is Sunday afternoon and the kids are playing bocce ball and the cats are meowing and the bird is making a lot of noise and I'm sitting here thinking that I'm going to wing this one. And by wing, I mean a lot of them, I, a lot of my podcasts I type out or write out so that when I have the website up and running, I can put the podcast transcripts, so to speak, up on the website as blog posts. So uh, that's why I write them. Unfortunately, sometimes they end up sounding red and kind of stilted. So this one's just kind of a shoot from the hip. And the reason I'm going to shoot from the hip in part is because I'm going to continue with the topic I was talking about last week, which is essentially my running metaphors. And I call them running metaphors because usually they present themselves to me as I am out trail running, at least the way I trail run. I went running again yesterday for 35 whole minutes. It wasn't particularly difficult. I knew where I was going and I knew the trail and I knew the path I was going to take. And it was just something that I sort of forced myself to do. Um, my husband had other things that he needed to do this week and or this weekend. And so I went by myself and as usual, it preceded my going to get a diet Coke and meditating in the car, but I had some more metaphorical thoughts come to me. And those are not the ones I'm going to talk about. So stay tuned to yet a future podcast and I will talk about those. However, it did remind me of some other ones that I have been thinking about. A lot of them, again, have to do with kind of the uh, trail and the terrain and the experience of trail running or any other kind of hard thing. It doesn't have to be about exercise or running or biking or anything. I think these metaphors can be overlain, overlaid, whatever, onto other areas of our life. But the one that came back to me and I'm in a pretty good space right now in terms of family and experience and job and work and, and where all of the kids are and, you know, things are not easy, but I don't have a lot of stuff going on in terms of real pervasive worry about the future. I know there are things coming and I know that there are things happening and I don't feel swept up in them. I'm going to go as far as to say that part of the reason I am not swept up in them is my, the last year, my genuine effort at mindfulness and trying to be in the present. I've mentioned this before. I've read uh, maybe three books over the last year, and I've done two online courses over the last year, really trying to hone in on the ideas and concepts of mindfulness. 
And I believe wholeheartedly at this point that part of my ability to stay out of the past and out of the future is because of mindfulness. In therapy or more particularly my experience in addiction therapy, there is this thinking error that is referred to as future tripping. Um, that's just what they call it. And if you're talking about it in the, at least in the addiction facility that I was working in, everybody knows what future tripping is. Future tripping is getting caught up in what might happen in the future, being afraid of the future, thinking about how things won't work out in the future. And it's not a particularly good place to be. Also, therapeutically speaking, a lot of our problems with depression come from focusing on the past and living with a lot of regret. And conversely, anxiety and anxious thinking comes from worrying about the future and being afraid of the future. So about a year ago, I found myself severely mired down in future tripping. There were things going on. There were, you know, I, they're in my journal. I know what they are. Some of them were related to family concerns. Some of them were related to my own personal work concerns and finishing school and finding appropriate places to land in terms of internships. I know, um, out of, um, slightly less than a dozen children, there are always going to be things with kids and or grandkids that are concerning. And I was doing a lot of worrying about the future. A lot. I was worried about decisions that I was making. I was worried about decisions that maybe some of them were making. And I was turning a lot of stuff into bigger more unsettling stuff. The thing about focusing on the future is just in a nutshell that it's stupid. And I say that knowing that we do it anyway. And nobody can do anything about the future. We can make choices in the present and they might have a limited impact on the future until the next choice, and then the next choice. So while I knew in my head intellectually that what I was doing was useless and unhelpful, I didn't know how to get out of it. And it was pretty consuming. I mean, I remember sleepless nights. I remember just a lot of angst about how I was feeling about two or three really specific things. And so, again, I had started running and I was in the middle or the end of one of those runs and this thought came to me, how far ahead do I really have to look? I am running and I'm tired and exhausted and I'm coming up a hill or an incline, or I'm in a sandy patch, 
and I want nothing more than to reach the top, come to a plateau, get to hard pack dirt. And so I raise my gaze and I look up ahead and I cannot see the top of the hill or I can see that it's still really quite far away or I can't see where the sand turns to hard pack. And I am seriously discouraged. And I truly am looking for every reason under the sun to stop and walk or sit down and rest. And then I realize that if I just look straight in front more or less down at my feet or just the first two couple steps in front of me, then I have no concept of how much farther I have to go. Is it further or farther? Further is we will discuss this issue further. Farther is distance. So I was right. If I keep my eyes just two or three steps in front of me, kind of looking right at the front of the path, then I have no concept of how much farther I have to go. And then when it comes upon the plateau or the hard pack, I'm delighted that it's there. I have reached that natural place of resting, so to speak, where I can reduce my effort, catch my breath, and continue on. As I'm thinking about this idea and and utilizing it in running for the sole purpose of continuing on, it hits me like a, you know, two by four upside the head that this is what I'm doing in my life. I am looking way too far ahead, way too far ahead at what this decision will mean in my life or what this child might be doing right now and how it's going to impact their future or whether I should take this particular job and trying to understand what it will mean for the next year. And all of this is creating a lot of angst precisely because of the unknown. And precisely because it seems like so much and so heavy and so hard to see the future. Because people, we cannot see the future. The part that's kind of funny about future tripping and running or hiking and looking too far ahead is that if you aren't looking for your, or if you aren't looking at your feet anyway, you literally might just trip and fall. So future tripping has kind of a funny dual meaning when it comes to that. So let's talk future tripping. It's pretty much a slang word that has a whole bunch of different meanings, but it refers to anxiety. It's got a relationship with anxiety. The Urban Dictionary states that future tripping is worrying or freaking out about the future instead of enjoying the present. And that's exactly what it is. So it is actually anticipatory anxiety where you 
have a fear or a worry about something that hasn't even happened yet. So you've got a set of circumstances in your life and then you take those circumstances and you extrapolate and infer and impose a narrative on it out into the future that you worry about and worry about and worry about and worry about. And that's what I was doing until I stopped. And I really did just kind of stop. These metaphors that come to me um, really actually help synthesize and create in my mind a simple, snap, easy way to remember things. So the other saying, uh, cliche saying, or whatever you want to call it, that came to me at the same time was by the inch, it's a cinch, by the yard, it's hard. So if I'm just keeping my gaze barely inches in front of my footsteps or barely inches in front of my uh, worldview or view about a particular issue, then I can always take the next step. And all I ever need to do is just take the next step. And the next step really isn't in the future. It's in the present. So by the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. So I also, because running happens to be a spiritual experience for me as well, I'm going to go ahead and share this for anybody it might relate to, because again, it was one of those moments that really helped contextualize what I was feeling. So if you are a Christian and believe in Jesus Christ and his atonement and crucifixion and the fact that he was born and lived a life that was destined to be the savior of the world, then the other way that this idea of how far ahead do we really have to look and the idea of looking too far ahead actually paralyzes us, paralyzes us, and we are unable to take the next step. And as I was thinking about Christ and his role as the savior, and that he lived an entire life more or less knowing what his ultimate end would be. How far ahead or how far in the future could he really engage in without just essentially losing his ability to take the next step? The idea of what was coming for him in the future, in my mind, would have been so paralyzing that he may never have done anything. Now, this is these are my ideas. I'm not trying to create a narrative for anybody else. I'm not trying to create a discussion about you know, whether Christ was able to overcome future tripping or whether he did or didn't future trip or have anticipatory anxiety. All I am trying to illustrate is how these metaphors have worked to change my thinking. 
And so the idea is not so much about you guys taking my metaphors on and having them impact your life, but you guys coming up with your own metaphors and having them applicable in your personal life or your spiritual life or your work life or whatever it is. So the other part of the spiritual component or religious component for me was the scripture in Matthew 337 that says that we don't need to, that, that says take no thought for these things and just keep the commandments for who of you or us by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature. And then it goes on and talks about the other things that we cannot do by thinking or anticipating or future tripping. I can't make any changes in my children's lives by worrying about their future. I can't make a good or bad decision about which job to take with anything more than the information I have at the moment. So all of this is to say that anticipatory anxiety, future tripping, or looking too far ahead on the path is not useful. It rarely creates peace. It rarely allows you to solve a problem and it rarely keeps you in the present, which is sort of the next part of the metaphor. Meditation and mindfulness includes a very pronounced theme about being in the present. And I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that today in 2021, are we in 2021? Wow, I don't even know what year we're in because if I had to say 2022, I would probably freak out. Anyway, in 2021, I now this many podcasts in this far into 2021, I can legitimately say that mindfulness has created a very peaceful, very noticeable sense of presence in me. So part of how far ahead do I really have to look is encompassed in the mindfulness piece about being present and not focusing on the past or worrying about the future. So in a nutshell, I do not have to look very far ahead. Interestingly enough, I was talking to one of my daughters a few weeks ago and their family is going through some stuff and it's some pretty big stuff. And we were just chatting like we do a couple times a week. And she was telling me about her experiences with metaphor and how she and her husband at this point are just almost, it's almost amusing how much metaphor seems to be showing up in their life and in their lives, sort of directing them, encouraging them, helping them see things more clearly, helping them see the serendipitous, the kindnesses, the 
just the way God is moving for them. And we had a really long conversation about metaphor. I don't think I told her about my experiences specifically, but if you're struggling, if you're in a, some sort of a crisis or experiencing some, I don't know, some heavy things or some decisions you have to make, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just applicable to life. It's kind of fun and interesting to see where you can see the metaphor. So for just a minute, let's talk a little bit about metaphors. Um, metaphor is has, taking something concrete and comparing it to something abstract. So love is a battlefield. Life is like a box of chocolates. Those kinds of things are metaphors. And metaphors are important because they tend to be, oh, I don't know what the word is. They go beyond comprehension and demonstration to actually change the way we think of certain concepts on an unconscious level. So we learn a lot of things on the conscious level. We do a lot of things unconsciously. The metaphor brings together abstract and concrete to help your unconscious create understanding. I don't know if I did a particularly good job of explaining that, and I'm going to leave it at that. And again, just suggest that you begin to look for the metaphors that might be present in your life. All of this stuff has begun to work for me. And I can't be sure that it will work for anyone else or how it will work for anywhere else, anyone else or what would work best for you. So for just a few minutes, let's actually talk about future tripping and anticipatory anxiety and talk about some skills and some things that you can actually do when it's not just as easy to say, hey, I don't have to look that far ahead. Why don't I just stop worrying? So first things first, uh, if you're worrying about something that has a solution or where there is actually something you can control within that worry, then do something, okay? It's as simple as reducing the stress uh, about whatever it is you're worrying about. If you have a bad job, you can look for a new one. If you are worrying about a speech or a presentation or a school assignment or getting your homework done, those are things you can take action on. So in those instances, there would be something to resolve you can resolve the problem that you are worrying about. Those are problems that you have control over. The ironic thing about future tripping and anxiety is that a lot of it is worry over things you cannot control. So a thing you can do if you're worrying about something that you cannot control is you could actually set aside some worry time, okay? Schedule it into your day 
allow yourself the allotted time to worry about something. In this regard, it becomes more of focused contemplation or focused concentration where you might actually be able to have a burst of insight or come up with a thought or a anything that might help diminish the worry about a specific thing. But more importantly, what it is doing it is it is creating time and space to worry so that you don't have to have that happen all day long, every day, or all night long, every night. Okay. So you do that. You create a time. You can set a timer. You can put it in your planner. You can make it on a car ride. You can make it on a walk, wherever you want. But when your worry time is over, you close it down and you just say to yourself, I will be able to worry about this again tomorrow during my worry time. Okay. A lot of this stuff sounds kind of corny and kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of fake. Like you're actually talking to someone else but you're talking to yourself and this is your plan. And if you do this kind of thing, it does create space and place to open up and free yourself from incessant all day long worry. Another thing you can do is you could actually create a worry journal. It's the same type of idea. You write your worries down on paper. Sometimes the act of writing them out and then rereading them and visualizing them gives you a different perspective on the situation. That black and white creates clarity sometimes. So this is a worry journal and it's kind of the same thing as journaling for anxiety. A plug for the journaling podcast if you haven't listened to it already. It's a really good way of noticing when the worries begin so that you can identify certain triggers. Okay. If you have them in a journal and written on paper, you can go back and look and see where and when and why you are worrying about something. What specific things go on in your life when you start to really future trip about your kids or future trip about your job? So journal, worry, worry, write your worries down in a journal. Okay, uh, another thing, uh, future tripping, anxiety, anticipatory anxiety, knowing that anxiety is, there's a purpose behind anxiety. A part of your mind is trying to help you keep away from some sort of perceived danger, upset, or embarrassment. Figuring out why you are anxious or feeling anxiety or worrying about something can change your entire mindset. So again, uh, a lot of this can come into clarification by worry journals or worry time, Uh, even talking about a worry or your worries out loud to someone else can help. So those are a few tips for minimizing the future tripping. Kids start learning about figurative language right around fourth or fifth grade. On Friday, as we were reading Streams to the River, River to the Sea, the kids were supposed to look for personification, simile, hyperbole, and metaphor. 
as we were reading, they were yelling out which one it was as we came upon it. And there were lots of metaphors and they were able to pick them out and note them. Metaphor helps internalize concepts that we do not grasp consciously. And the best ones connect something less understood with something more understood, thereby helping the person understand something they may not otherwise have grasped. Master storyteller Stephen King notes this ability of metaphors to improve comprehension when he says they enable people to see an old thing in a new and vivid way. In this way, metaphors are kind of like the miracle that happens between the two concepts involved in metaphorical understanding. If you're talking about literature, it's the writer and the reader. If you're talking about thought, it's the person and whatever it is they're contemplating. So I think I'm done for this week. I appreciate getting these concepts out there helps me to even, it helps me to understand them even better. So I bid you all adieu and wish you all a good week.